When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. Uh, that's right, everybody. We're back. This is episode 105, Website Layout versus Website Content. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing how website content can and should easily affect what your website layout should be. And then we'll be taking a look at Budget Tech and Budget Web in our web news. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and check out uh, go check us out on Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us on our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So, Mike, please take it away. So, weekly pain point this week is uh, social media. Um, so, I decided to go in and be a little bit more hands-on with the HTML things social media uh, channel, like the Twitter channel especially. And I've just been posting and, you know, answering people's questions. And I don't know. I just can't. I'm trying to get comfortable with it. That's my thing. Is like I'm trying to – because we're – you know, doing this, we're doing the HTML things. And I think it's a valuable resource for people. I want more people to know about it. I want to get my ideas out there. And it's just one of those things that I can just not, I just can't get comfortable. I'm trying, but I can't. And I keep doing stupid mistakes. Like I, I wrote a post and I tagged myself first and it just like sent it to me directly and didn't like put it public or anything. <laughs> yeah, it, so it's, it's just like, like publicly useless. sending it to yourself on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like completely useless. Um, because I like I wrote I wrote an article and I wrote a post uh, on the HTML things Twitter, you know, saying that I wrote the article and stuff like that. So anyway, I just these little things with the with social media that I just can't get over. Um, when I do my streams, I do this little recording before each stream to post on Instagram and Twitter sometimes, where I like to talk about the stream, what we're going to be doing, and when the stream is going to start. And those are always super awkward, and I do like fifteen takes. What? Like yeah, like I know every, no everyone sees the last take, but I'm doing like like. A, I just like screwed up every single time, like multiple times. And it's just like the easiest thing. Like, you know, you're going to be starting streaming in five minutes. Going to be talking about Vue.js. Nope. Can't do it. Can't record myself doing that. But yeah, that's, that's my weekly pain point. I'm going to try to get through it. Do you what know what you at? should do for that though, mm-hmm. Mike? Not to interrupt, right. but you know what you should do for that is you should go like, so if you, if you like make a coffee or something before the show in the middle of your coffee, if you have like two seconds, you just pull out your phone and just do it impromptu and just press, just press like publish. Don't even do takes. Just like, oh, I'm like stirring my coffee or like waiting for it to heat up or whatever you're doing. And so you just like pull the camera and be like, yo, we're going to go live in like 30 minutes. And then that's and it. just chuck the phone off the balcony. Like, chuck the phone off the balcony, get another <laughs> yeah, phone, just... and press send. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it clouded in that time. <laughs> it's, so it's accessible. But yeah, I I mean, you just got to do it impromptu. I don't even do it, but you should do it impromptu and just... Yeah, I might try that. I might try more impromptu, like just randomly, just sitting on the toilet. All right. (laughs) Just stark naked. Just like, that's it. Like, just, oh, man. I was waiting for my pants. Like, I was pressing them, and I'm just waiting for them to cool down a bit. I'll just, (laughs) like. (laughs) So my weekly pain point is related to this is uh, I couldn't think of a weekly pain point, like a real one. 
So before this started, my voice, because I'm talking to Mike on Zoom right now, so my voice was coming through his speakers, so I just started screaming, Mike's a fraud. So my my weekly pain point is that Mike's a fraud, apparently. So It's the most ridiculous weekly pain point. Like, that's not, like, it, <laughs> you wrote it as an inside joke. It's not an inside joke because you said it literally, like, three minutes ago. That's not an inside joke. You it's just an said inside it. joke now, though. Like, technically now speaking, that, we're the only people that, that know. Yeah, and then the, the whole podcast audience knows now, so it's technically not an inside joke right away, immediately. <laughs> I think I wrote that because, like, because <laughs> like I didn't want to like put these in the show notes, put Mike's a fraud in the show notes, and then someone shows up and goes like, "Wait, what does that mean that Mike's a fraud?" And then I just get yelled at for calling somebody a fraud, so I had to put like this is an inside I would be joke. The one that gets yelled at because I'm the fraud. <laughs> immediately yeah, I, start I, a social media attack on me. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Hashtag I, Mike's I a fraud. It. I welcome. I welcome the social media attacks. <laughs> what what the hell is this about? Ten years down the line, just getting attacked over <laughs> hashtag Mike's a fraud. <laughs> but yeah, so Mike's a fraud. Apparently, everyone go check out his social media <laughs> that he's having trouble with. Um, but I think we'll jump into the episode. Bit of a packed one today. I wrote the show notes, um, so I kind of went overboard as I usually do. So there's three segments. Segment one is start starting a project. Sta- uh, segment two is going to be actual content. And segment number three is going to be closing notes. Now, I want to just sort of preface this by saying that a lot of what I'm about to say is taking sort of the highlights and the general notes of everything. And you'll, you'll understand what I mean right when I kind of dive in here. So, for example, I cover different types of websites. I didn't cover every single aspect of every single type of common website. I just took like the first, you know, three, four, or like maybe it was even five off the top of my head and just did that. So if you're like, hey, that's also common. I mean, I just wrote in generalities if that's a word. So anyway, so uh, when jumping into a new project, it's easy to categorize, uh, categorize it into a particular sort of standard category, such as, you know, a small business site that has five to 10 pages, has an about us page, possibly like a small blog section or like a news and announcements type of type of thing, you know, has a big slider. That's a big thing on small business sites right on the homepage and has a, a contact us page with a form and like maybe a map with an address. If people have to go there, that type of thing. And it's just a sort of a very simple, generally static, sometimes with an editor, but that doesn't get updated all the time, sort of small business site. Uh, there's also then a, a business card site. So, you know, that might be a single page or that's usually a single pager with some basic info like contact info and a very small quote unquote about us. And the point of these type of websites generally is is there's an emphasis on uh, contacting or reaching out usually with a form or maybe there'll just be a phone number there or something like that. Or maybe even a map with an address if it's a business card site for sort of more of a like like a one off event like, hey, come down to this park for this festival or something like that, then that would be a business card site. So there'd be a map there. Uh, but like just a one pager, not really all that serious. Usually there's not an editor associated with it. Um, or maybe it was even built by like a really easy to use editor that had a template for that type of thing, but just a really simple one pager. Uh, the next one will be a blog or news site. So, you know, a homepage littered with articles and latest content published on the site and a big and like really powerful top section with featured articles slash content that the editor of that site really wants you to see uh, tons of pages, right? Just like a bunch of pages of all the articles, of course. And most are very similar. And what I mean by that is most are similar in layout. So it'll be like, this is a blog type post where there's the hero and then the rich text and then the share bars here. Um, or there'll be like another, or there'll be like, uh, you know, maybe like a couple types of things. So maybe they do like a, 
events every now and then. So there'll be like the blog post template and then the events page template, which has like a calendar widget in it or something like that. But generally it's a bunch of pages, but they're in one or two different types of, of templates. And then with that, the reason why I mentioned that is because there's a real big emphasis on uh, SEO per page. So they're ensuring that those articles, those blog posts are easily shareable. So there's always your share bar there. There's full metadata provided. So there'll usually be like a catch-all metadata that's applied to all pages that in case somebody forgets to set their specific metadata, but there's usually quite extensive sort of metadata controls, like setting each individual article's title and making sure everything's included, like the open graph stuff if you're sharing on Facebook. So they want to make sure that if somebody shares it on a platform that they're getting, you know, a nice image and a nice heading. And I've actually seen it where the website itself has one heading and then they change that heading for uh, something like Facebook. So if someone shares the link on Facebook, the actual open graph title will be different than the actual title. So because it shares better on Facebook for whatever reason, depending on the content that's I've seen that a couple of times as well as the image like maybe you have a hero image and you want to have a different image with different resolution or different uh, different sizing or whatever else you want on Facebook or fits your branding better on Facebook those type of things there's also uh, informational uh, or marketing sites so these are usually very flashy lots of images and graphics right there's smooth and animated elements that catch the viewer's eye but it's very smooth it's not like a jarring kind of look you don't have to double take it's just a nice experience and it's usually like big bold colors or even if you're if you have a more of a muted design you have like a nice little thing slide in when you scroll those type of things just little things that will catch the viewer's eye or or if you have a more muted design will just look nice but like it'll be that thing where somebody can't put their finger on it like Oh, this site, this page scrolls nice, but I can't put my finger on it because they're not, you know, staring at your, your slight fade ins and that type of thing. Uh, these usually have tons of calls to action or opportunities for customers to buy products or reach out in some way. Uh, there's a massive attention. This is like kind of the big sort of, uh, main point of these websites is there's a massive attention to lead generation in these cases. So lead generation for selling products or reaching out for some reason, buying tickets, whatever else. Typically there's a small blog section to ensure that up-to-date information is provided on the website. Um, this is usually also for SEO so that they remain relevant. And if, you know, a keyword, uh, a keyword in that particular space comes out, they'll write an article on it, but this isn't sort of a news site where, the blog is updated all the time. It's only updated as necessary, and it's usually rare that it does get updated. Uh, there tends to be sort of these pop-up icons, if you will, that follow you and click. So as you're scrolling through, there'll be like a little, you know, a little call symbol, a little call iconography that's floating with you. And as you scroll down the page, it'll just be there all the time, and you can click at any time to call and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes it'll open up a contact form, whatever else. That's sort of like one of those call to actions there. Uh, also, typically they're trying to sell, not always, but typically one specific thing or it's one product or, or, or rather it's one product or one product family um, or an idea of some sort. So whether they're trying to sell you like to come to a festival, the product family would be like they have a bit of merch on the site, but it's all based on that festival and the product is the festival effectively. Uh, but there, like, very, very rarely would you find, say, on these type of sites, very rarely would you find like, a, like, like a, somebody like a department store wouldn't have a, a type of site like this. They would be more into what the next category is, which is e-commerce. So e-commerce, of course, usually has a, an e-commerce type of site. Usually has a homepage with some sprinklings of an about us on the homepage sometimes. Um, 
and and some other marketing info that the customer might find useful and the entire site is really all about emphasizing and pointing the customer to their online store, you know, usually if, if they do have sort of a, a homepage where there's some marketing information, some about us and that type of thing, there will be widgets on the homepage that show previews of, you know, what's for sale on in their store, whether there's something on sale, like something's on discount, something's on clearance, trying to get people to go into that store. Now, sometimes these e-commerce sites don't even have that and the store is just literally the store page. So you just click right in like Amazon. They don't have like a homepage. They do, but it's it's just more of their store, right? You click in, bam, you're already looking at products. You're already looking at that type of thing. If you click into a product, you're already on the product page. So some of these sites are solely just the store and then the individual product pages, and that's it. Now, store pages show off the product in terms of images and can accommodate a large amount of information sometimes. Now, this is if they're, if they're trying to sell a technical product. So... That's kind of how the page is laid out where they have multiple tabs and they break it up so that you can read the bullet points. But if you're really into the specs of like a TV or something, you can go into the specs chart and that type of thing. Now, the reason why I mention all of these is because if you've so been just into... Be, just before you jump in there, okay, I just ahead. wanted to mention one more uh, type. Uh, it's a web app. So web apps are becoming more and more popular across industry, across different, uh, you know, I- internal web apps, external web apps, stuff like... Uh, you know, maybe an image processor. There's a lot of online image processor now. You can upload, like it allows you to upload an image, do something with it, and then it exports that image for you, stuff like that. Uh, or internal, maybe just an onboarding thing for new employees. A lot of those are web apps now. So you, you know, when a new employee comes in, they get all their information through the website and it's kind of a, in a web app format. Web apps are a little bit different than in structure than all the other sites because they're a lot more administrative. They're a lot more function-based. So a lot of their layout is designed around pushing you towards the functionality that they deploy. Uh, so for instance, if it's a you know a site that somehow you know uploads an image, there's going to be a big block on the site where it allows you to drop an image. And if there's going to be a site that uh, you know, maybe it's a kiosk application that gets a customer to put their information in that that page is going to be mostly focused on a form and stuff like that. So th- that's kind of the difference with a web app and all these other sites. Absolutely. And and it, it kind of lends itself to the next point here. So like the reason why we went through all of these different types of websites is because if you've been in the web industry for even a small amount of time or just being just not even if you're in the industry, but if you've just been paying attention to websites that you've been on. They're, they usually fall into one of these categories. Now, some of them obviously have a variance, and that's sort of what we're going to touch on today. That's sort of the point. But the reason why we wanted to go through all these all these different types of websites is because these are the type of things that you're going to these are the type of things that you're going to sort of think of um, as you start talking to a customer. So you know, putting uh, putting a project in the uh, the early stages of a project. So let's just say you've just met a client. They're interested in your services, you know, and then you start talking to them and you immediately sort of assign their project to one of these categories. It can be the easy, the easy way to do it. So a lot of us, what we'll do is we'll talk to somebody and they'll be like, oh, you have a small business. You're like this more than likely you want a small business site. And so that can kind of get you motivated and sort of get, allow you to start prototyping or wireframing and sometimes even just straight up building the site itself you know, getting all the tools and plugins and all the rest of the stuff that you think you would need or think that the customer would need on the website, getting your stack ready, all the rest of it. But the problem is with using these type of templates is that it can easily lead you to ask less questions from your clients because quote unquote, you know, you already know what they're looking for. 
And that can easily lead you down a path that doesn't match their vision, your customer's vision. Now, while it's difficult to mimic or even extract a customer's vision from their thoughts, of course, you need those concrete ideas and you need to, or at least make them, I guess like, I guess, I guess you can never get like a concrete idea from a customer that that's never the case, but at least get like a solid foundation and get all of the basics out. And it's actually like super critical that you do this. And Mike and I have experienced this before where someone will contact us. They're not super into having a website. They're not super into it. They'll kind of just literally say what they're interested in. They have no branding language. They have no whatever. They're not super psyched about having a website. So then we'll take their business, Google it. They usually have like one of those Google My Business cards that come up. Or maybe they have an older website already. And we take that and we sort of make a modern version of it. And that type of thing with a lot of assumptions. But then they'll come up and I'll have an example later. But they'll come up and they'll just say, hey, what about X whatever? Like X thing. Like what about e-commerce? And you're thinking, wow, I just built this whole big static site this whole big static small business site, e-commerce is a huge add-on. Now, now there's a problem. So, okay. So for example, I'll just like do a, a, a more formal example, I suppose. So like, for example, if someone comes to you and says they need a site for their new company and more specifically their new product. Okay. So this is like a common thing that happens these days. And that new product is on Kickstarter. You might think that they want an informational slash marketing site. So you've assigned one of those templates, one of those stereotypes, if you will, to that website. So you take in all their marketing imagery, you know, they, their, their graphic designer starts sending you stuff. They already have their branding and stuff all ready for their Kickstarter and they're all ready to go. And you start building this website, this information slash marketing site from the information that they have on their Kickstarter and from anything you got from their call. Now, this type of website is very much a one trick pony, if you will. And essentially it's, you know, not equipped for multiple products or really even for e-commerce. By going with this type of website right off the hop without listening to the customer's future vision, this is key, you know, past this one product. So they want this website probably to last and you're designing it for this one single product. They could have a bunch of products in the pipeline that are going to be releasing soon and they could want to start online sales outside of Kickstarter very shortly. And you just assume that they didn't because you're like, oh, you're like one of these trendy companies that's trying to sell a bunch of stuff on Kickstarter and then sort of, they're you know, once they sell out or once they whatever, they just sort of go into obscurity or, you know, maybe the Kickstarter doesn't, doesn't work out or maybe the Kickstarter works out great, but then they're kind of done with it, that type of thing. So you'll then be left at that point. Like if they, if they say, no, 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 we have a, like, if you've already started this website and they're like, no, 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 we have a bunch of products planned. We want to have e-commerce. We want to have all this. You're now left with a website whose design aesthetically is tailored towards a single product and overall isn't equipped from a technical or a design perspective to handle a blog, let alone e-commerce or anything else except for that one product in Kickstarter. The heroes on the pages, the sliders, the videos, everything, the branding is all solely for, or at least you tailored it solely for one product. And anything that you try to add to that is going to be tacked on. And it would be so easy to assume that, and even Mike and I would fall into this trap, where if someone called us and said, we have a new smartwatch, I don't know, and we're doing a Kickstarter for it, we really want to show this off. So then Mike and I would jump in and we'd be like, okay, let's start prototyping even before we talk to them. Or we'd maybe not prototype, but we'd probably start brainstorming. And we would start talking about, okay, they want this and this. Like They probably want this big hero image. They probably want this video. They probably want this and this and this. When we talk to them, let's ask for their their um, their imagery and that type of thing. And that's exactly what might happen. 
Mike and I brainstorm the next week or whatever. We go and we sit down with the company and now we hit a problem because we're not going to be asking the questions that we should be asking, which is, Hey, do you want an information marketing site? Do you have more products? Do you want to sell products online? You know, where are you selling this out of? You know, what, what type of uh, services on, what about what, what type of uh, e-commerce systems have you used in the past? Have you used them in the past? We don't ask any of that. We have already made the assumption in our brain that they're going to want an information marketing site. And we'll only ask them for their imagery. We'll ask them to effectively fill in the blanks. They're not going to know that we should ask those questions. They're going to provide that material to us. There might be some other questions that are asked and like some other stuff that, that we go through, but we're not going to ask those baseline questions. We're going to miss that whole part. We're going to put it together. And then they're going to say like, where's the store? Because if, if they're, especially if they're selling a product that isn't technical, and especially if they're not technical, they don't know that all websites just don't have stores. Like they just probably think, oh, like this product, this, this company doesn't sell stuff online. So they just turn the store off. They just think it's something you turn off and on. And we've had that several times with, with clients where they think a major feature is just like a switch, like, oh, just go turn that on. And that's not the case, obviously. And so that, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at here is it's very much a, it's very much like you need to talk to the customer about the actual product and the actual content that they're going to have, because that content changes not only the design aesthetic, but it changes your stack. It changes everything. And I'm going to be getting into that in the, uh, in the second segment here. Yeah. So just to add on to that, like the whole issue with it is if we gather the wrong requirements at the start and Matt and I, like Matt said, we definitely did that a few times and we got bit by it. Um, whether it was us having to take, take a hit, on how much money we'd make or whether it was the customer having to fork up over over more money than they initially thought because we didn't communicate or ask them the right questions so it is really important to go through and ask the proper questions to each customer and gauge their reactions and stuff like that and see if you can go any further because they don't know what they want like just straight up they don't like they don't, they'll call yeah. you and be like we need to be online okay what does that mean? Do you want do you want people to find you? Yes. Well, do you want people to find you when they type in a certain keyword or do they want people to find you when they type in your name? Well, ideally both. Well, I'm like, okay, well, do you realize like if they want if you want people to find you when you type in, you know, nearest restaurant to this location, we have to target that keyword, those keywords, and we have to, you know, design the site around that kind of stuff. And so they don't understand that kind of stuff, and neither should you really handhold them through it, but you need to get that information out of them like what they actually want out of the site. Do they want to, you know, sell stuff on the site or do they want to show that they have stuff for sale in their store? Two completely different sites. Two completely, it's completely different. Yeah, 100% different infrastructure. And yet to them, it's the same thing. Like they don't, like we want to sell stuff. Okay. All right, so what are we building you? So like it's one of those things where you just have to, it comes with experience, but it also comes with a little bit of research, it comes with listening to podcasts like this. It comes to with like going through and doing your due diligence and understanding what those requirements need to be in. Like, I think one, one really important thing that uh, Matt did earlier was classifying each and every t different type of site because giving yourself an idea of what direction and what um, what classification a site will be with the stipulation that you might be adjusting it like you know it's not a firm thing like if they have an e-commerce like if they want to do an e-commerce but they also want a really nice marketing landing page those two things can absolutely live together right but it's a good idea to know what the classifications are because then it's a those classifications give you the idea of what you need to ask and uh what you need to extract the information you need to extract from them as long as you're going into it knowing that they don't know what the hell they want 
And that and having the conversation with them is really critical too, because for example, and we've mentioned this several times, if if they're a person that that seemingly when you're con- when you're con- conversing with them, if they seemingly have multiple ideas, they're changing their mind, or they they seem to have some entrepreneurs are very impulsive and they like big ideas and they like to instead of making a website, destroying it and then building a new one, because entrepreneurs typically like to like go 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 and keep building. What will end up happening is is they'll they'll want to build on it, build on it, build on it. And so when you have those conversations with them, you kind of have to gauge what tool you're going to use. You know, maybe WordPress is overkill right now, but because they're impulsive and like to try a bunch of different things, the plugin marketplace of WordPress is invaluable because now it's like they want to all of a sudden run a contest. There's a there's a contest plugin out there, I'm sure. They all of a sudden want to change templates, but they want to keep all their blog posts. They can absolutely do that. And that's like super, super critical that you have a program there that is that is able to, you know, export, import the data, back up the data, have all the all that functionality and everything else. But that first version of their site, let's say they have a five year plan, year one, it could literally be just a landing page. WordPress can can scale from just a landing page to full blown e-commerce running tons of running tons and tons and tons of product pages, tons of blog posts all that stuff it can absolutely scale to that degree but if they're a very a very sort of they make uh decisions sort of in a conservative manner they like to like save their money and they like to ensure that everything is used to the max and they don't they're not like an entrepreneur in that sense they just like their business they're not like let's go 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 try these ideas they're just sort of like a, oh you know i i just i run this i run this small business i like doing this and they're very slow and methodical and they're very thought out and they don't like they don't change their mind a lot then then you can probably save them money by probably save them money and time and and whatever by going with uh, a product that is easier to edit for them, has less features, has less expandability, but is something that they would be able to use quickly. And that, that, that kind of comes with that experience, like Mike was saying. And to say, and to like literally give an example of one time that we made an assumption and I'm changing details and stuff like this on the fly to not give away the person's identity. But we had a, we had a company that we, we work for that had multiple locations and we decided, or I think it was actually me that decided, I was like, well, they have multiple locations and they have multiple areas in which customers can show up and, and do this thing. So we're going to make it so that the entire website is going to revolve from a technical perspective around the multiple locations. They're going to go in, they're going to check off which locations are open. They're going to be able to have it so that those widgets show up all across the site. So they set, they, they basically go into, you know, what are we like, what products are we offering and what stores they, 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 they show up. They, they like, if they, let's say they close location A, location A deletes from all the widgets across the whole site and location. And then all of the forms no longer have location A as an option when you contact them about it and that type of stuff. So realistically, like a lot of the website's content revolved around that. Then when we talked to them after, cause I, we didn't, we talked to them about what they generally needed. And then I made this whole UX experience and literally built it with Mike. And then we go and talk to them and they're like, Oh, why the hell? Like, we don't need this. Like. We just have one inbox and we'll just move people there and we'll deliver stuff here. And like, you know, the locations aren't the defining factor. Meanwhile, we thought, oh man, the locations, let's get all these pages and let's do this and this and this for SEO and let's go here and there and like all over the place. Totally unnecessary. Totally was, was totally fine. Like the customer ended up adapting to it, but like, that's not great UX for them, for an example. And so that's an example of sort of a kind of a textbook example of what, what this is, uh, or what, what this like kind of podcast is about. Uh, so to jump, to jump into segment two here, you know, it's important 
that you have these type of categories in your head as a lot of sites fall into them. However, they should only be used as a starting point. It's extremely important that you get the customer's full vision, plans, etc. before jumping in with wireframing, prototyping, and all the rest of it. Now, the website templates, you know, should more or less be used as an initial talking point. So they're still useful. Don't just throw them away. Don't just throw them out. They are, they are still absolutely useful as an initial talking point with a new client where you can guide them through what type of, what, what, what's standard? Like, oh, you know, you, it sounds like you want, you know, a small business site. So you can literally say that. It sounds like you want a small business site. They're usually five to 10 pages and you can kind of say they have text on them and they have this and this is normally what's in here and they have a map, they have a contact form and stuff like that. But they'll, they'll in their brain, when you, when you miss something in their vision, oftentimes they'll mention it. So I'll, I'll give an example. So for, so in this example, if you have a small business client, okay. And that small business client has a small auto repair shop in some town somewhere. You might assume that they want, of course, a standard small business site. So you should bring up what type of, what kind of layout and features that you have in mind from that sort of template that you have in your own brain. And this will generally have generally in turn, have them coming up and correcting you. Like I said, if they have, if you gloss over something that they think is big in their head, or even if it's something that they think would be cool, that's a big one. If they just think something would be cool, they'll bring it up. Uh, actually funny enough, oftentimes they'll bring up, Hey, why, why can't we have sound on the buttons? And I always just say, I'm not doing sound on buttons, but that's usually what people who aren't technical. They're like, Oh, it'd be cool if it went like bloop bloop when it went over the buttons. We're not doing that. But, but the point is, is getting those ideas out of them. So, let's just say you, you list out all five pages that you think they'll want, you know, and they bring up that, you know, Hey, all those five pages sound great, but I would really love for a client to be able to book an appointment for their car online. So immediately that's the most complex part of the site. You know, it's not the rich text field. It's not the slider. It's not that type of stuff. It's not, even if it's static, it's not, if it, even if you have to install a a simple CMS, it's this now. That's the most complex thing. And so in terms of development, if you've completed this, you completed like 70% of your of your development. If you complete the scheduling system, you're like you're done 70 like 70% ish. Like obviously ballparking. So maybe you want to have, you know, at this point, this this changes your idea of the small business site that you're applying. So you still have those other five pages. The sixth one is to book an appointment, but maybe you want to have a floating call to action to guide your customers to the book appointment page. Or maybe you'll want to cater your SEO to bring attention to the fact that you have online appointment software and your competitors don't. That type of thing. Maybe there'll be a social media campaign like that. Like, hey, the only car lot in whatever town that can that you can book online type of thing. And it's also important to note that by knowing this information this early in the development, like quite literally before you start anything but talking to them, you'll be able to shop for and find a good booking software for them or build your own, right? But find effectively find that solution that's best for your customer. If you find out this information about this booking software after you've already started building those other five pages, you're not going to want to go back and scrap it and come back. You're going to want to just tack it on. And then you're limited in, in you know what's compatible, what will work here, what will look okay, you know, those type of questions. And you might end up finding something that's compatible that is too complex for your customer, isn't the cheapest option, and doesn't fit them well, but it might be the thing that works from a technical perspective with your stack that you chose. And so you have to sort of go with that in order to make money on the project. Now that's just overbearing UX for them, or maybe they're even missing out on features or they just have too many now. And then you had to tack it on. And it and no matter, like, 
I shouldn't say no matter what, but like, I'm going to say in most cases, not always tacking something on feels like you tacked it on. It does feel like you just like, Oh, like, whoops, I meant to put an e-commerce store here and you just tacked it on. So it's best in my opinion to avoid tacking on a solution after the fact. So effectively, you know, you're letting the content guide your design decisions, your overall UX, right? For the customer. And of course, the relationships between your client, which is the website owner, and their customers, the website visitor, as well as the client, again, your again, the website owner, to their website. What I'm saying is, is that by having everything designed out and like laid out and working, the their clients, the website visitors, are going to have a good UX. But you also need to ensure that your client, the website owner, has a good UX using his software. You know, you want to make sure that the CMS you give them is not hard to use. You you don't want to give them a fully blown enterprise CMS for a five page small business site. Juma? Um, hmm. Joomla? No, Just we're not using Matt. Joomla. No, yeah, for we're that. doing we're doing Joomla. No Joomla. Next, next week, Matt's going to be doing a Joomla episode. I'm um, never using. I'm well. I'm going to say I'm never using Joomla again. I used it the other day, but <laughs> I'm not using Joomla. We had Mike and I have had a disaster of a time starting with Joomla years and years and years ago, and ever since then I've sworn off Joomla. Now, if you like Joomla, go ahead. I literally have like five hours experience with it, but it was hell. I also didn't know what I was doing in the industry, so take my vision with a grain of salt but a zoom law is too complex for a small business site i'm going to tell you that right now to my in my in my strong opinion that's too complex now you could give them an enterprise cms if that's like the best option cheapest option whatever but like disable those features that they don't need for example that's better ux for them they don't need to see user management and all this crap if they're the only person if they're the other if they're the proprietor and no one works for them and no one's worked for them for 10 years chances are they're not going to have like a web team suddenly like show up right but you and and you also don't want to have a clunky experience where people try to book an appointment for their cars and it's and it's cumbersome and then they just end up make you know calling the calling the place that's wasting your clients time and it's also wasting their money because now the people aren't using the the digital solution you put in place. So your solution should make your client's job easier, not make it digital for digital's sake, if you will. If your digital solution is worse in some way than just sending an email or picking up the phone, for example, then that solution is worthless. It is literally worthless. It's just a cool party trick, effectively. That's it. It's worthless. It has to be good UX. It has to save him. It has to save if you, it, like I said, if it's in the mechanic thing, instead of him picking up the phone 10 times, 10 people book online, he goes to finish his shift, goes into the office for 10 minutes, shows up, approve, 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 keeps going down the list, approve, 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 request change for this guy. Now he's just done his 10 phone calls in less than 10 minutes without actually doing a phone call. He did it all digitally. He has them all booked up. He knows what's going on. It'll put it into his calendar or whatever. And now he's good to go. And now he knows what's going on. And instead of having, you know, a whole bunch of, or somebody manning the phones or him constantly being interrupted from fixing something, he now can just fix it, get it done, do his work, shows up, finishes it. That's an example of something being like actually useful. But if it's not useful, it's just worthless. Now to flip to flip to the actual more, I guess, layout side of things, because this is, well, I guess this, all this, all this stuff is layout. Like obviously, um, 
when we're talking about like the booking software, you know, when you're talking about like, you know, or you're, you're trying to force people to that page, that type of thing, that's also layout in a way, especially sitemap and those type of things. But you're probably thinking more media. And so we'll get to that now. So, you know, media obviously is a very important consideration when it comes to overall layout as well, uh, you know, from the technical side. So, you know, if you, be, if you, if you will be delivering a bunch of video that is self-hosted, you probably need something more powerful than a low-cost shared hosting plan so that videos can transcode. 100%. Oh, man, that would be the perfect transition if we had a sponsor. Oh, what? <laughs> like a, like a you know, DigitalOcean oh, sponsor. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on now. Damn it. But that would be uh, – I mean, we should, we should, we should like, like mark this in red in the show notes so, yeah. so we know. But, but, yeah. <laughs> it's, but, yeah, so you should go check out DigitalOcean. <laughs> like, frick, man. Um, or Microsoft Azure or, like, whoever. Yeah. But, Dude. like, th- this is critical. Like, people just think, oh, I'll upload a video and have it so that I'll upload it in 1080p and people on slower connection can run it at 480 if you don't know much about video, you have to transcode that live down to it. So you're effectively converting the video live and streaming it to the person. So you have to have a good network card. You also have to have good computing power to, to transcode it down from 1080p to 480. Now, it's not like a huge task for one person. What if there's like 10,000 people on your site watching it? What if there's 100? What if there's five? You know, five can overwhelm it. So you need something better. Um, you also need to consider how your website content is delivered. So is you know are, is it being cached? Is it is is are you using a service that's delivering the content over a CDN? You know this can be critical if your pages are filled to the brim with photos. SSD are are your uh, are your data stores on SSDs or are they on hard drives? Hard drives are slow. SSDs help, but the CPU and the RAM matter. The memory matter absolutely. So you have to keep in keep this stuff in mind. And then obviously media is a huge consideration, a very important consideration when it comes to design as well. If you're making a website that's photo heavy, you'll probably want to have a lightbox plugin of sorts at your immediate reach. You'll also be tweaking the design of your site, you know, to make space for less text and more photos. You'll also need to balance out your pages. So for example, pages that are more informational, like an about us page, often have less photos integrated into their written part and page overall. But if a lot of photos are needed on the page, then oftentimes a separate photo gallery section is needed. So then there's a clear separation where they say about us, here's our origin story. You scroll down slightly, there's a photo gallery of maybe the origin story, for example, and they can flip through a little slideshow of that. And that's easy enough. You know, having photos naturally integrate with your design is also important. This is just on any page so that your overall design doesn't look like you laid it all out. Like you put all this text in, you got all this information, you did all this. And then you just started like, like sticky tacking photos onto the page. You have to incorporate those images and those graphical elements into the design itself. Like, so for example, if you have a lot of panoramas or large landscape shots or something like that, super widescreen ones or just widescreen ones, those are great for hero image backgrounds. So if you have big heroes that introduce like, this is blog post one, I hope you have a better title than that, but like blog post one and you like, you know, have it out, have it up at the top and you, your background image with like a, with like a background mask that covers it up so you can read the text, but like you can have a nice background image of like someone's panorama or like a nice 4k ultra wide shot or something like that, that can be automatically cropped by, by background size cover stuff like stuff like that is like really critical that you don't think of. But then when you go there, you're like, damn, like this would look better with a photo and that sort of thing. So it's easier to consider this stuff earlier. Now, If your information, or sorry, if your website is heavy on information, then you might want to consider, okay, so this is on written stuff more, more, more often than not, but could be media if you're like a stock photo site, but you might want to consider having 
management systems. So maybe you'll have different, you know, denominations of, uh, of, uh, like how you categorize your stuff. So you'll, you might have a documentation center and a knowledge base, just straight up categories, tags, like you see in blogs, those type of things. And information heavy websites also need systems where users can easily find what they're looking for, you know, categories and separating into those denominations is great. Like having a knowledge base and a documentation center. That's a great start. Absolutely. But having a search with filtering and labeling things with dates and other metadata can really help since in each of those denominations, there's going to be a bunch of information. It's not like you divided it into two pieces and had five pages in each. There could be 5,000 in each of those. And that's why you divided it. Cause you had 10,000 pages and you're like, Jesus, we got to separate this. Now it's 5,000 and 5,000. You still have to have things to be searchable, especially if you want your users to be able to go effectively back in time or back into the archive. So those things are really critical. And uh, also finding, I didn't actually write this in the show notes, but just coming coming to mind, things that are memorable should be searchable. So if you have something like, uh, you, you, t- you entitle a blog post like, you know, I don't know, the best taco place, let's just say. You entitle the best taco place. And that article gets nominated at random later that year for like, I don't know, best food review article 2020. That is like a memorable thing in a user's brain. And in 2025, they might say like, oh, I I really wanted to, what was that taco place? What was that taco place? I'm in that city now. What was that taco place? They'll look up best article, you know, best food article. That's the memorable thing. That's what they'll remember. They won't remember the taco place. And so your search results should be searchable with something like that. There'll be different keywords and stuff like that 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 you'll realize. That's why including as much meta as you can is really critical. And that's why having the filtering is really critical because people aren't going to remember what the name of the place is in that example. They'll remember that you won that award potentially. Sometimes they will remember just the place. So that's why it's important to have the multi-level searching. Now I've been ranting on for a long time. So I'll do, I'll do some closing notes here. Okay. So effectively content is king. Okay. Content is king when it comes to a website. The, the website's design, overall aesthetic, underlying technical specs need to match what the content plan is. A website just isn't as easy as saying, oh, you want five pages? I'll just spin up five pages in my editor. You need more information than that. And possibly the most important step in speaking with a customer is getting their entire vision laid out so that you can lay out their website properly. And that includes laying it out properly today and, and for future iterations. Some clients want to just have something basic today And then if things work out, just tear that down and rebuild. And that's their prerogative. But if they want something that is built to last and can be upgraded and updated as time goes, like with WordPress, there's tons of blogs out there that are over 10 years old that do not have 10 year old designs, but they have their 10 year old articles in there. That's so that's something you can consider. Oh, we should use WordPress, that type of thing. Okay. Or another CMS, of course, whatever works out. Okay. And with that being said, okay. Customers just as a, just to sort of play devil's advocate, but just as like a note. So you don't like kill yourself trying to get everything out of your customer's head and like get mad at them if they do this with that being said, okay. Customers are prone to changing their minds. We all are, you know, we are, all of us are customers to someone. Okay. We're, we're prone to changing our minds. So sometimes this doesn't work out. Sometimes their vision just drastically changes and nothing you can do. Just make sure you get as much information from them as early as you can and learn from that type of thing. If you know that like you really struggle with scheduling software and you're like, damn, I hope this project doesn't have scheduling software. You better ask them. Don't like cover it up and be like, I hope they don't ask about scheduling software. I would ask them be like, Hey, 
we have a, you know, we've done projects like this before. We've had scheduling software. Do you want this? So then you know right off the hop because you don't want to be like, damn, man, like I friggin' hope they don't like. I just sent my website in for review. I hope they don't bring in. Hope they don't ask me to do scheduling software because it's gonna take me months and I didn't equip the site for that. You know that that's no good. Ask them up front and just learn. Every single time you gather requirements, Mike and I have done this for years now. Every single time we gather requirements, even today, we learn a little more, a little more, a little more to the point where like most. Most projects are pretty smooth, you know, short of there being like weird time delays or like weird glitches or something. The actual project of the actual product, the actual product requirement gathering procedure. There's a mouthful. (laughs) Should make like an acronym. Watch that's like a profane, like, I don't even know what the acronym would be. Watch it'll be like someone will make some, some sort of like profanity out of that. But, (laughs) but anyway, gathering those requirements is crucial and you'll learn from the process over time. So just one one thing I want to put emphasis on, and you've touched on it a few times, Matt, uh, is the the fact that when you gather those requirements, when you gather both the website layout and the website content and media and stuff, when you have both the, both those sides, uh, a, a key point is finding is picking the right technology to use. So Matt, Matt, you mentioned like you know if, if the client wants to expand constantly and is one of those people that wants to add a bunch of features all the time for little amounts of money and short time which is the key characteristic uh wordpress would be a great one right like because you can just add a plugin and they'll get their functionality and they'll be happy but if the client is more uh patient but and they want a more robust system and they want better security and they want like if you know the client specifications are uh very concrete and they want something a little bit more robust then maybe you make your own CMS or maybe use a different like headless CMS, like a Sanity or a Satamic or whatever, right? Um, which is like the backend, backend side to it. And it, it, it's really important to choose the right technology for the project early on because that's the stuff that's really, really hard to change. Uh, it, like if, you're, if you want to convert from WordPress back to a really, you know, simple CMS, it's going to be tough. If you want to convert from WordPress to a more secure thing, it's going to be tough. Uh, if you want to convert from something that's you know secure and everything back to WordPress, also difficult. Like every conversion is going to be a big time suck, and it's going to be a big investment in both time and money for your client too, because you're not going to do it for free. Let's be serious. Your client's going to probably have to pay for it. But the problem is, is that if you weren't upfront with them about your choices. Uh, they could be upset with you. They could, uh, you know, they could push back on paying you. They could give you a bad review, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a really important step. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that, that I think that's a really good capstone to it. I think it's, uh, I, I mean, I think that's all to be, <laughs> there's all to be said. We've, we've been ranting for almost an hour now on this. So like, I think, I think we've, I think we hit the nail on the head, if you will. And I always screw that, that, thing up and i just said it right for the first time also yeah. yeah what do you say i always i always say it backwards i always say hit the hit the head on the nail what or i like never heard you or say i that. hesitate it and i don't say it right or i like it might be in my head as well i always like skew Maybe, it and yeah. then i have to like think it through and then it feels weird that's weird but okay yeah fair enough i think that's um, okay that's that's that topic in a nutshell i literally don't have an, a comment <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, that's fair uh, yeah, so let's move on to the web news. Um, so the web news is interesting this week. Uh, it's a little bit different. So it's called Budget Tech and Budget Web. So it got inspired by some of the new phones coming out. So um, 
as you know, Matt and I are kind of tech enthusiasts. So we like technology, we like computers, we like phones. And a lot of the times we, we do do web news, like specifically on new technology that's coming out or new tech trends and stuff like that. Uh, but this time I kind of want to combine it because what I got was like, okay, so I'll explain what the new tech is that's coming out. A lot of new uh, phones that are coming out are actually budget oriented devices. So because of the fact that flagships have skyrocketed in price, so we're talking, you know, like in U.S. terms, probably a thousand and up for a flagship phone. Like a thousand is probably the low end at this point for a flagship, um, and thousand, like fifteen hundred, is probably the medium point, and two thousand dollars is like the ultra flagships. Like there are phones in that in that range. Uh, there has been a new category coming up that's called budget phones, and this year especially, and like the last couple months has. Two of them have come out that have been really good. So one is called the OnePlus Nord, which is like, I think, a $400 US phone. And the other one is called a Google Pixel 4a, uh, which is actually debuted at $350 US, uh, just to undercut the Nord. And the third one actually is the Apple iPhone SE, uh, which came in at like, I think, $400. So those three, like Apple's never released a phone that cheap. I believe that's that's been their cheapest phone. Uh, and it has a lot of positives and negatives and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like for the general consumer, these devices are fantastic. And that's what what the people that are buying phones for the most part. So they're trying to, you know, dominate in that category as well. And when you're talking about laptops, it's the kind of the same situation is happening right now. There's a new, uh, processor brand coming that is kind of taking over laptops by storm. It's the new AMD Ryzen 4000 series, uh, they're just really like cost effective. They perform really well and they don't get too hot and they can do like both graphics and uh, regular processing. So they're allowing laptops to become cheaper and better and stuff like that. So it seems that this this category is heating up. And I, the reason that I wanted to talk about in a web development perspective is a lot of the times we're in the same situation. So for instance, when we are first starting out or when we have to pick a product, like when a project comes up to us, there's usually a budget and a lot of the times that budget is pretty low and the wants or the, you know, the requirements or whatever are very high and you have to, you have to determine what to do with your money, with the money, right? Because you can't do everything. Like if the, if the customer wants, you know, an e-commerce site with perfect SEO and uh, like a great like marketing page, like cover page and for it to be like appear number one on Google, like you're talking about. I don't know, depending on the category, like $100,000 for a site. Like it, that, that's not a joke because of the SEO and the marketing side and all that. Like it's possible it could get to that kind of range. And, Maybe and even it's more. constantly I don't changing. Know. Like some people are super yeah. into it. So they would want a team, literally like want a team full time monitoring trends. And if a trend comes into their into their area, if they're about home automation and there's a home automation trend on social media or on Google, people are trending that trending a certain keyword or searching a certain keyword. They want to be first or early to getting some of that traffic. And so that is a huge cost because now there's a team sitting there doing that type of stuff. And that they'll usually be the SEO team and stuff and marketing. But regardless, that's still incorporated into that hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, or whatever. Like so, and and the point is, you're not going to get that kind of budget ninety nine percent of the time. Definitely, like not. especially if you're first starting out, which I'm sure a lot of you are. You're not going to get that hundred thousand dollar budget on the site. Most of the time, you're going to get a guy that comes to you and is going to be like, "I need a site. It needs to do X, Y, and Z, and I have five hundred bucks. Like, can you do that for me?" And the game that you have to play is like, okay, five hundred dollars. How do you, you know, how do you, where do you put that money? 
because again, you can't make an, an everything site with $500. Like you can't make a CMS from scratch. You can't, uh, you know, create a perfect loading site. You can't create the, you can't create the design. Like you can't do the design for that amount of money and stuff like that. So you have to know where to cut corners. Like, okay, maybe you buy a template. So that lowers the price. Right. Or maybe you get a free template that lowers the price even more. You're building on the, on the template. Maybe you get just, you know, standard SEO stuff. So you don't have to worry about it just as long as it works. Maybe you just use WordPress because it's free and like it has a good library. Like those are the kinds of decisions that you have to make. And a little experiment that I want to do. Um, and I actually, actually was inspired by another tech YouTuber, uh, Mark MKBHD. He did this like budget phone experiment where he's like, you have an X budget, like 20 bucks, let's say $20 budget. And you have to create a phone. Obviously the $20 budget is arbitrary. Like it doesn't matter. It's just a small number to make it easier for us. And you have to create a phone and there's a bunch of different categories that you have to put that $20 into. And each category maxes out at $5. So I'm going to list off some categories for you. Design, UX, technology, security, SEO, and advertising. Um, and we can think of some more if you if you have some more, but I think that covers kind of the initial you know the the initial uh, categories that we need. And you have a twenty dollar budget, and the max in each category is five, right? That kind of represents a really low budget site, in my opinion, like maybe a five hundred to a thousand dollar site. So where do you put that money? Like how how would you do it? How would you separate? Like you know where would you put that money, Matt? Do you understand that? It's only yeah, yeah. So it's only twenty bucks. I'm just thinking. It's only twenty bucks. Now wait a second. There's not even enough to put five in each, right? Five, ten, fifteen. No, you can't. That's the point. That's the point. You have to decide where to put the money. You can put one in each. Like you know what I mean? Like you can put one in in design, one in UX, and five in technology. But then you're missing. Like how do you set? How do you budget out the money to get the most out of your? Like where do you put? In a low budget site, let me reword this. In a low budget site, mm-hmm. where do you spend the most amount of your money and time? Okay, well, auto- automatically, security is down to zero dollars. The reason why I say that, <laughs> no, no, hang on a minute. The reason why I say that is because yeah. most tech that's prepackaged has updates and a bunch of security requirements. So you're, so you wouldn't even think about it. So you wouldn't think about it if you go WordPress. You know, there are ways that you can make it more secure. Absolutely, and like. Like, obviously, like, you should do that. But on a low-budget site, like, WordPress security is probably okay-ish. And if you're using another CMS, again, I would put... Okay, I, I would take the... If any, if there was any security budget, I would take the security budget, put that into tech. Because you'd be able to research tech that you just trust in general, whether it's WordPress or something else that's, like, more secure. And then... So, okay. Advertising zero two. Yep, that makes sense. You're not gonna you're not gonna be able to afford advertising on that kind of shoestring budget. Like it's true, and this is like, and this this website is probably just like a, a business card website. But the owner of the business card website wants to be listed on Google and wants to do as best he can in the SEO game. But he understands the concept of you know money equals better SEO. Okay, like we've experienced this many times. That's why I kind of wanted to give you this example. This is a this is an interesting one. I don't mind this. Okay, mm-hmm. this is interesting. Okay. I'm going to actually just write this in our show notes live here. Yep. For me, advertising gets zero. Mm-hmm. Um, SEO. Okay, actually, let me just put a zero on, on security as well because I've already decided that. SEO gets five. Ooh, okay. Technology gets ten. 
UX. No, the max is five, I think. Oh, whoa, 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 per category. I thought uh, per oh, category. Damn it. Okay, okay, one sec. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, let's answer that. Okay, that gets five as well. This actually gets well. Wait, I guess they all have to have five then. So wait a sec. So we max yeah, so five. Both, yeah. So so maybe you know what? I'll I'll lower the let's lower the budget. Let's lower it to fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. So fifteen dollar. Yeah, that budget. makes it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because what I was gonna do is this. Okay. Now, okay. So, so what so I've done you have, is you have to explain it. Yeah. Now. What I've done is I've done design is one dollar. UX is four. Tech is maxed at five. And SEO is maxed at five. Now I'll explain myself. Your tech that you that you research and look at is your backbone. And oftentimes that will come with, especially in the CMS scene, it will come with templates. So you don't need to think about the design. You need to shop for a template. So the design is one for the shopping. The UX... Okay is a major consideration when looking for the template because the template is generally hard to change in most editing programs. And and it will take a lot of time and we don't have the budget. So effectively, we need the perfect UX and most templates obviously look good. Even if they don't fit your brand, they look good. So budget, we're talking design is low, very low. UX is huge because you don't want to accidentally forget your contact form or something if that's the whole point <laughs> tech is five for all these reasons so you can research what's what stack you want or what it's a budget site so you'd probably use something prepackaged. whether you want to use webflow wix squarespace wordpress couch cms typo 3 all the above that's why that's max because those will if there's no templates in i mean this is ridiculous but if there's no templates in webflow of which there are if there's no templates in Webflow in this hypothetical, then you can't go with Webflow because your because your design budget doesn't do it, and that's why the tech is so important. You don't want to get you don't want to accidentally da- or not accidentally, but you don't want to download a static template and put and try to plug in a CMS to it because you can do that, but not at this budget. Absolutely not. I think another reason tech is important at five would be expandability. Like later on, if they want to roll something else and some more complicated stuff. Then, then you're at least if have you, the base. If you've invested in a good tech, then you're uh, you have a good base. And the UX is 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 hand in hand with the with the tech, because you don't want to have some cheap, some cheap booking software or some some just like really dated calendar app or something. You know, if they if they need that, and you and you want to hit make sure you hit all of the the check marks for the customer, meaning the website visitors. And you want to ensure that, again, the UX is good for your customer, the website owner, to edit the site, if assuming they're editing it. And then SEO, because they want to hit it, is five. Now, there's a reason for this as well, and advertising is zero. The reason for this is, they're, if, they're, if they're low budget, they're, they're probably, but not always, they're probably small. And so the, the amount of money you would need to apply to advertising is not realistic for the return on investment. Effectively, with a lot of advertising, again, not all of it, and we are not a marketing agency, but from our experience, a lot of the money you spend on advertising needs to be effectively money that doesn't matter to you, that if it got lost in a flood, doesn't matter to you. (laughs) Literally doesn't matter. Because 
a lot of it is being thrown out there. You get a bunch of impressions and you get no sales or you throw, you throw a thousand out there, you get a hundred in sales. Now, again, we are not a marketing agency. Some people out there are probably saying we're idiots, but in terms of a small business, maybe you're trying to advertise that small car shop. The best advertising in a small town is usually the sign and the reputation word of mouth. So that's why advertising is a zero, but SEO is at five. The reason why SEO is at five is because people who are looking for something will Google it. And if you're in that small town and you're using that small car garage example, people will look up your town. So let's just say town, you know, auto repair. And that's the new, that's the digital form of going down the street and finding the sign. People no longer go out of their house and walk around a town looking at signs in for when they look need an auto repair place. They now Google it and then GPS to the place. So by you Googling it, you are, that is the new, I got to go into town and find a place. That's the new one. That's the digital version. And so that you need good SEO to show up in those results. 100%. 100%. That is the new signage. So have actual sign signage because people are driving through the town. Good SEO because the digital the digital world that that's your digital sign. That that that's effectively having a sign. And that's a good base so that if you start expanding franchising heaven forbid you can then have money for advertising. But if you have bad SEO in general, you're not going to get good organic traffic and then Every single time you stop paying for advertising, your your numbers are going to dip, which is natural, but yours are probably going to dip to zero, which ain't good. You got to have good SEO, you got to have a good organic. And on a low budget, to me that's more that's more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I agree with almost everything that you said, uh except for maybe design and UX cuz for okay, so Matt had one in design and four in UX. Mm-hmm. I would probably put two in design and three in UX. Uh, maybe even three in design, three in UX, and four in technology. I might adjust it like that, but for the most part, it would be the same. The reason that I, that I do that is I think if you put only put one in design, I think you're going to come up with a template that's just not going to be either modern enough or it's going to have some glaring issues. You know what I mean? Like it's going to have one of those like serious problems where, like you were saying before, I. Uh, Maybe the contact form has 15 drop-down menus for whatever reason. Oh, and you can't get rid of them stuff. for whatever reason. And you reason. can't get rid yeah, of it yeah, yeah. because of yeah, because it's all it's all static and embedded. It's like a bad template. So I'd rather have a slightly better template and slightly more time choosing that template because I think two in design is still template territory for sure, um, but it's just a slightly better uh, a slightly better template. So that's where I would put my money. Uh, the reason I would maybe lower technology from four five to four is I think like. It's a little bit overkill to prepare a full-on technology stack and research every part of that stack for a, a smaller business site. But again, it is important to invest in technology because it gives you that great base. So th- that one is a little bit more of an iffy one. But uh, yeah, that's. I think that that was an interesting exercise. Um, I kind of think I we should do more of these type of things. Like that, that was really cool. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I really like that. I think, Matt. I think let's post this on Twitter before like after we release this episode and see what our audience would do yeah what do you think i like it yeah, yeah i like it yeah okay 100 let's do it so yeah i don't really have anything else a little bit of a shorter web news but i mean it was an interesting web news and yeah. and and the thing is i'll say one thing about phones actually one real quick mm-hmm. one real quick point 
I'm not a fan of buying the budget phone. Reason why that is, is because now I have my own weird neurotic thing where I like refuse to buy the budget phone when I go to upgrade. But if you're a person that cares about budget, to me, the flagship, big, shiny, flashy phone is a, just a nicer product. Straight up, flat, hands down, that's it. The next year when the next flagship comes out, that other flagship is is still available at a much cheaper price. And what I always recommend to people is if you're buying an Android, I'm a Samsung fan. If you're buying an Android and the S10 is out, buy the S9 if you're looking for budget. You have the money, buy the S10. Always. Now, in this case, you'd buy the S10 Plus. I'm not getting into that. I'm saying if there was just an S10, S, S, S10, S9, no variations, I would buy the S10. If you're looking for a budget, buy the S9. Don't don't buy the A series. That's not my that 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 wouldn't be me. Now the iPhone might be a different story because like obviously the iPhone is still built the iPhone SE the new one whatever is still built premium. It's still nice and everything, but you're not getting that nice big screen and all the rest of it. So if if budget's your only concern, then like kind of do what you will. But if you're actually buying, it's your primary phone with a with that type of thing. Just get it the next year because it's going to go on sale. It's going to go down in price and then it's going to go on sale because they're trying to get rid of it. And what are you doing? You're getting what was cutting edge last year. Like, so, okay. So the only pushback I would have on that is that the last generation S series is not getting the bigger, the bigger discounts as far as I can see anymore. Like right now, I, I was looking at it recently. Uh, this is in Canadian dollars because I wasn't looking American. Um, the last gen, I think it's the S10 would be last gen right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 10s. Yep. Yeah, the, the the S10s are sitting at around like $800 Canadian. It's a pretty good discount. $800 I mean, to $900. That's a pretty good discount from what I paid. From what you paid, right, right. But the Pixel 4a is $479, brand new. So you're say, you're st- it's still a big chunk under that. If they're the same price... I agree with you in right. 100% of the cases. Like if you can get a really good deal, sometimes you're right. The Samsung phones do drop, but for some reason, the last like, you know, six months or so or seven months, it just hasn't been happening as often. Right. And maybe you can wait for a deal or whatever. And these phones that are coming out, these mid-range phones, again, the Pixel 4a is a good phone um, in that category because it has the best camera. Right. Like it right, has right. the same camera, right? Like it has that crazy good camera and it's fast enough. Like it's fast enough and it's okay. It's plastic, but it's like whatever. They're, aren't, they're not designed for you or me probably. Like I'm not going to be getting one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get a flagship. But for the general consumer at those price points, like 350 price point, like that, you're talking two, three year old flagship at that point. And if you're, if you're a klutz, like if you're a person that's rough on their phone yeah. or constantly drop it and you don't case it up or you constantly break it somehow, I think that's a no-brainer too. Yeah. I would – yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. And it, it's a shame that the discounts aren't as good. I think you have to like keep an eye out for sales. And in Canada, we're getting hosed too to be fair. Like I think I paid – I mean talking from memory, I think I paid a grand or 1100 up front. That is with a massive like 400 or $500 – loan from like or like kudo tab is what they call it whatever the kudo tab was 500 ish and then it was on back to school sale yep now i did buy it so early in its life that they had won <laughs> so i mean i didn't exactly wait for the opportune time to buy it but you're right in that regard but mm-hmm. i have told people who were constantly buying moto g 
They're always always buying I, that thing. I told him, I told my one buddy, I said, no, 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 buy S9. I'm like, buy an S9 because he uses his phone all the time for gaming and stuff. I was like, no, 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 no. S9, you, you don't want to pay the money because he works on a construction site. That's fair. Buy this, put an OtterBox on it. If it breaks, buy another one. I'm like, you'll love it. He buys it. He's like, it's the best camera that he's ever had. Not to say the Moto G was bad, but that's an upgrade for him as his primary device. So the Moto G is bad. Like, and that, that's been the problem for a really long time. Our mid-range or budget phones have been terrible. The, the one the offering in in US and Canada is just is actually really bad. And Moto G, like you said, was the best offering in that category at like four hundred bucks or three hundred and fifty dollars or whatever. That would be my travel right? phone, the Moto G. Like if if I was Maybe, like yeah. if I was like worried about it being taken by customs for some reason. Like if I was going to a place yeah. where they like I don't know I don't know who does this, but if they were frequently taking phones, I'd be like, All right, here you go. <laughs> like, here you go, bud. But but even then the Moto G here is still like in the same price category as now the these mid-range phones. Right, that's right. What, that's why this this has been more of a not I wouldn't say a revolution but more of an event like it, it was, it's been more of a interesting take on the mid-range phone because they're actually affordable and they're actually decent like they in most categories of the on that phone it has good things like it's not really compromising in any one category severely it's just like mid-range across the board with some higher like flagship level stuff like for instance the camera on the pixel 4a is flagship flagship level right um the screen is decent like it's pretty good it's still amoled and stuff like that so like it's it's one of those things that it's now happening so that's why i can recommend them or before i couldn't before okay so before these things came out i would be recommending stuff like if you, if you can wait buying stuff like the Xiaomi phones xiaomi phones because they're way more value for their money so for like for 300 you can get a really decent good phone that'll last you for a really long time takes a while on, to ship on, here though it takes a while to ship here sometimes amazon does do deals on them uh where it's like one day prime shipping and stuff Damn. and then you have amazon's return policy so there is there is the that kind of scenario but um for canada for some reason it's just been not as good in the u.s it's a little bit better but yeah like so it's nice to see a little bit more option and it's nice to see companies taking them a little bit more seriously. You don't have to recommend the Moto G to anyone, which is great. I don't think I ever recommended a, a Moto G myself, but like also people were most of my most of my friends just have iPhones, so it's not like I, they were coming to me. Not like I wouldn't suggest a Moto G. I think a Moto G is like a a good budget phone and it's probably a really good offering if you're a person that breaks their phone a lot. I would say 100%. That that's 100% what I would recommend it for. Or if it's in a high risk environment of being broken, like construction, you know, God knows what 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 can happen to that thing get all dusty or something. You know, obviously OtterBox it, but yeah, absolutely. No, and 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 all this is doing is it as like a as like a final note for me is all this is doing is it showing that phones have reached the point that desktop computing and and laptop computing has hit. 10 ish years ago where you can get a good offering at a fair price because it's now become mundane. Everyone has a phone. It's just an assumption. Everyone has some sort of computing device. Now, whether it's whether you don't even have a desktop anymore and you just have your phone. Now point is computing in general is just mundane and mobile computing, which was a new invention is now no longer a new invention. And so the new invention is the AR glasses, the watches kind of those type of things. But no longer is it a mixed reality, probably, but no longer is it mobile computing. It used to be hard 
to get a good phone, like in terms of like engineering it and building it. I'm not saying it's easy now, but now we have like a book, you know what I mean? Like you could refer to a book and say like, this is how you build a cell phone. We have that now. It's no longer a new invention where it's like, hell, if I know how to dissipate heat on the mobile, on mobile phones without a fan, you know, that was probably a serious discussion 10, 15 years ago. Now it's like, my laptop doesn't have a fan, you know, well, mine does I have a gaming laptop, but <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you know, you, you know what I'm getting at? There are fanless computers yep. out there now. So, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my capstone. Uh, unless you have anything to uh, add, Mike, I'm going to go run the old conclusion. Runner up. Alrighty. Well, remember we're on that, on that Patreon. If you want to support the show, that's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier pat- patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. As well as, I'm going to mess this name up a couple times, Bib Hashdash from Twitter via the Twitter handle Bib Hashdash, and I'll spell that just because it's a first timer here. B I B H A S H D A S H. So go check, go check him out on uh, Twitter there, and feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on, of course. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.